Hello, and welcome to Back in Control Radio with Dr. David Hanscom. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Back in Control Radio with Dr. David Hanscom. I'm your host, Tom Masters, and our guest today is Matt Bonet. He's a speaker, writer, consultant, and adventurer. In July 2022, he stage swam 154 kilometers around the world's largest freshwater island to raise money and awareness for multiple sclerosis research. He strives to bring light to dark places, alleviate suffering, and radiate joy. You can learn more about Matt's wellness journey in his upcoming book, Light from Darkness. Welcome. Thank you, Tom. Um, I'd like to introduce a person I met just recently. It's been a very delightful introduction. And this is Matt Bonnet, and it's a French name, and I can't pronounce, really pronounce his name, so we're just going to go by Matt. And Matt, I met through a friend of mine, Bonnie Kogos, who's an extremely inspirational writer that I met in New York, and we've stayed in touch over the years. And she is, I'm pretty busy, but I feel like I'm standing still next to her. She's, I think, in her 80s already and doesn't stop. So she just wrote a new book. And Matt and her met through social media, and they emailed each other, and hence I was introduced to Matt. So Matt has a very inspiring story. He lives in Canada, and he basically, his mission now is alleviating suffering and radiating joy. And in July 2022, he swam a, stage swam a 154 kilometers around the world's largest freshwater island, Um well, Matt, welcome, by the way. How do you pronounce this island? I don't trust the pronunciation. Manitoulin. 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 To raise money and awareness for multiple sclerosis research. He strives to bring light into dark places, which he does by speaking, writing, consulting, and adventuring. You can learn more about Matt's wellness journey in his upcoming book, Light from Darkness. And he is just a very compelling story. He's got a lot of enthusiasm. And so my feeling, if we're going to sort of make the world a better place. It could be a very much collaborative effort. So I'm happy to meet Matt. I like his story. And so Matt, welcome to the show. Very happy to have you. Thank you so much, David. Thank you for that great intro. Appreciate you. So Matt, I know we'll just start out with where you're at today and what life looks like. Then I'm going to ask you to jump back to the worst part of your, well, not the worst part, just your journey where you came mm. from in the situation. So how's life? So today I'm a speaker. I do a lot of public speaking. Uh, I'm a writer. I'm about to publish my first book. It's actually supposed to be done tomorrow. Yeah. So speaker, writer, uh, consultant. So I kind of do a bit of all sorts of different things and I'm just loving it. It's a very, uh, you know, it can, I'm not going to lie. It can be very stressful at times, but it also has a lot of meaning to me. You know, it's a very meaning driven life for me. Right. And what kind of work did you do before? What was your career before you started all this? I've been all over. Uh, I was a teacher, but it's hard because like people say, what do you do? And I've been such an eclectic background. You know, I've studied philosophy, spirituality, psychology, physics, education. You know, I've done so many different things that it's hard to. (laughs) <laughs> we'll take the whole episode just talking about that, but I'll say teacher. I'll say teacher if I had to give one. Okay. But your focus now is actually what you discovered through your own personal journey. Yeah. Yeah. Right now I'm self-employed. Uh, it's just me. And uh, I, like I said, I, I never know what's coming when, which is a little, the unknown is very hard to grapple with, but I always have something cool around the corner like this podcast today. Oh, good. 
So what happened? How did you start? You obviously became ill, and I know you're raising money for multiple sclerosis. Was MS your situation, or were you just other medical situations? For me, it was a very, very severe uh, depressive episode. So okay. I've had multiple depressive episodes. My worst one was in my late 20s, and uh, that one lasted very long and just progressively get, got worse and worse. And it seems like you're very much aware of the, the mind-body connection. But right. because my mind was so unwell, it really started manifesting in my body. So I developed all sorts of uh, further complications, some of them quite uh, bizarre. Uh, and it was just a very unpleasant time in my life. So for example, I had a neck tremor. So my head would just bob up and down all day long, which was sounds uncomfortable. It, it really is. Um, I developed uh, a movement disorder. I wasn't able to walk normally. Uh, I lost like, it's called back in control, but I, my mind was not in control, very much not. I, it, it was terrifying. Like my mind couldn't control my limbs. My arms and legs would just kind of move sporadically in random directions. I can't even recreate it. It was just a very bizarre movement. And it's like almost like each of my limbs had a mind of their own and it just wow. kept progressing and changing and getting worse. And, um, I was getting seizures, non-epileptic seizures. I was getting, um, uh, what are called freezing episodes. They labeled it semi catatonia. Cause every about 10 seconds or so I would lock into place, whatever I was doing. So it wasn't like a full on catatonic state. They called it semi catatonia. Cause I was like bouncing in and out of it, just kind of like on the cusp of it. Uh, and for me, it, it spiraled lower and lower to, to catatonia and I was hospitalized. Um, it was just a horrible place to be, you know, um, so just a horrible, age, horrible mind space. So can I ask how old you are now? I'm 37. This was when 37. I was about 29. Okay. In tw late 20s. Okay. And during high school, college, early 20s, things were okay? Or you had depression back then? Uh, I think things were okay. My first like real depressive episode was in my grad studies. Okay. And how long did that last? I mean, was it pretty severe depression? Just sort of a long... it was pretty severe. Like that one lasted probably two years. Wow. Um yeah, they get they get quite bad and it's scary and like I've learned to manage them and and I've got tools to okay. to help me out there. Um the, the name that the, I was diagnosed with, with all those physical things, um, it's not a very well-known illness, but it's called functional neurological disorder. Right. Um, so it's called functional neurological disorder because structurally there's nothing wrong. Like I went through all sorts of tests, like spinal taps, EEGs, MRIs. Like I went through all things, all tests are negative. Um, but you're still unwell. Like these are still right. very much real physical symptoms, you know? Um, and it's, it's a very weird mind space because it's like the more you think about this distressing symptom, the more you experience it. And so you're stuck in these very odd, bizarre uh, mental loops that are hard to break. And there's almost uh, a discrediting of, of mental suffering in our society. You know, it seems as lesser than physical, uh, which I would argue it's the exact opposite. You know, it's mental pain is very much still pain. Do you mind if I editorialize here? I already know you already know this, but I will tell you that we're a whole process right now is called, called much more towards you cannot solve physical pain without solving mental pain. You just cannot do it. And the problem is 
Well, we know the mind, I don't use the term my body anymore. It's just the nervous system evolved late to coordinate your body's function. And so your mind's interpreting your bodily functions and you can't control it. And the more you try to control it, the worse it gets. Then I'm guessing there's also a functional neurological disorder as a common diagnosis. There's also one called MUS, medically unexplained symptoms. Have you heard that one? Uh, no, I've not. Okay, so for both of those, they sort of apply from a doctor's standpoint. Okay, we're not you're having all these symptoms. Were you ever labeled as sort of psychologically? I mean, I'm sure you get some labels put on you by medical doctors. Yeah, for me, it's severe depressions. Right, but do they do they imply it was in your head or imaginary, or you were faking it? Did you ever get for that? For the physical like? symptoms, I saw a lot of doctors, and I saw it took me a long time to find one was empathic to my situation and who okay, understood my situation okay and so that was it was it was the empathic doctor that was crucial to me healing that's like right. that was that was crucial to my well-being right so here's the thing i'm on my mission is that look we do all these things to treat symptoms we're not treating the whole person and unless you have a doctor-patient relationship that's nurturing and safe nothing else matters so i have Brief. my process i have my structure but every person that heals is the doctor-patient relationship. That's the most important part of the process. And without it, there's not much. So you bounce and bounce and bounce, treat symptoms. And until you feel safe with the provider and trust this person, nothing really happens. It's a problem. And Agreed. Yeah. So, so one more concept about the mental pain. You know, with physical pain, we have an automatic withdrawal response called nociceptive pain. So you touch a hot stove, you pull back your hand. With mental pain, we have no protective response. So we know that mental pain is processed in similar circuits as physical pain. And so we, the only thing we do is suppress it, which actually makes it worse. So suppressed thoughts and emotions are actually more inflammatory than expressed ones. So whether you experience the thoughts or suppress them, we have no protection. And then what's happened in Washington, they actually won't take on mental health diagnoses because it's all these physical symptoms but the physical symptoms are created by this chronic stress created by your thoughts. And so you have to treat the mental pain first. So I'm impressed you figured that out because medicine hasn't done that. It's been really frustrating. Yeah, well, I found it took me a long time. Like I, my life was just hell. And I was like, I can't go on living this way. Right. And so I, I searched and searched and searched for somebody who could understand or at least help me, you know? So I saw many, many doctors, not just one, you know, because it took me a long time to find one that could help me. So quick thing, final thing I'll say, I'm going to go into your, into your healing episode here, but basically movement disorders, seizures, freezing, what happens is that under chronic stress, i.e. exposure to these thought patterns, et cetera, your body's in fight or flight. So your nerve connection doubles, your brain itself becomes inflamed, half the brain is the immune system. So you get all these symptoms and people say, well, you have a functional disorder, whatever that means, but what's happening, they say, well, there's nothing wrong structurally. That's actually not true. So when your body's full of inflammatory cells, your brain's on fire, your physiology's on fire, everything's wrong. Every cell in your body is exposed to stress chemistry. So the term structural doesn't really make any sense because symptoms are caused by physiology. So everything's completely explained by this unpleasant threat physiology. That's not working well because your brain, your, your brain, half your brain's the immune system. So your brain's inflamed and all sorts of things start happening. So anyway, we won't go into that too much more, but what you went through is completely explained by your body's threat physiology. 
it completely. And, and that's where medicine has missed it really badly here. So I'm curious about this physician you found or, or healer you found that started the process forward because you are more than fine now. Yeah, well, for me, therapy was a huge one. It was getting the mind right. Therapy was absolutely, there's no like, for me, the healing didn't happen. It was a very slow, I was so unwell. That it was a very slow, gradual uh, healing process. And I think it's like, what is the cause and what is the cure? And sometimes, like as human beings, we want one thing, but life can be much more complicated than that, you know? So I think psychotherapy for me was absolutely much uh, a game changer. Uh, that was huge. My therapist, I still work with him, is Dr. Lachifiar. Uh That was huge. And I don't even remember the name of the, the he was a neurophysician. I saw him like the, the the medical system here. It took me more than a year to see him. And by the time I saw him, I was doing a lot of uh, therapy and I was already much better when I saw him. But at least it helped me understand what I went through. And it was preventative from going there again. Okay. So I'm curious with, Everybody does this differently. So from your perspective, the it wasn't like managing the symptoms or solving the symptoms. And I get in, I should, I'm not trying to rant too much today, but see what happens with physicians, at least in our country, we you go to therapy. Well, this must have been psychological. Well, the reality is stress is processed by your nervous system or your challenges, whatever it is you want to call them. The research term is allostatic load is processed by your nervous system. You go in there, either fight or flight physiology or safety, and then you have symptoms. So basically, stress translates into physiology, translates into symptoms. So that is not psychological because the psyche, the thoughts are input, but the symptoms are the real deal because your body's physiology is so far off. And so the thing that, that physicians do is so devastating is that we say, well, okay, you went to, went to some psychotherapy, you get better, this is all psychological. It's all physiological. In fact, anxiety. I think there's no division at all. Like we tend to make a division between the mind and the, the psychology and the body, but these are just divisions that we've created. Like right. we're just one, we're just one being, you know? Uh, and so it, it does help to break it down. But if I break the car into all sorts of pieces, it stops being a car. You right. know, you right. know what I mean? Like either they're all a, a whole. And so it's right. not like an either or situation. It's a both and like, if your mind is unwell, that's going to manifest in the body. And if your body is unwell, that's going to manifest in the mind. I think they're they're interrelated. Yeah, I love your insights. I mean, I'm a physician. I think maybe that was a block to what you've already learned much faster than I did. But I don't use the term mind-body anymore because it's just a unit. You're not going to fly a Boeing jet without a computer, which has 2 million parts. You can't run the human body without a nervous system. It has 30 trillion cells. And so you can't run it without the nervous system. And again, the human mind developed very late in the evolution of time. So my cat's pretty smart. She's very quick. Her unconscious brain does all sorts of stuff. It's incredible. And so we have consciousness that created this thing we call the mind. And I'm trying to come up with a better term. Right now, I just, I just call it a unit response. I'm coming up with a better term, but I just don't use the term mind-body anymore because it implies there's a separation in the first place. So you're dead on absolutely hmm. right. And, I studied uh, philosophy and I studied spirituality. And so I, I've, I think there's, they're the same languages, you know, like right. spirituality and science. I think they, they don't understand each other because they, they're talking different languages. If I'm speaking in French, you're speaking English. Right. We're both making sense, but we don't understand each other. Whereas I find science is now catching up to the language of spirituality or philosophy as well. Um, for example, like 
if you say something like third eye, that sounds like complete nonsense to a scientist, right? Third eye, what the heck are you talking about? But that's where your prefrontal cortex is. You know, if I'm saying prefrontal cortex, oh, that makes, that makes sense, you know, but like, I think we're, we've kind of, uh, you know, we got to unite these things. They're all kind of interrelated or uh, I'm a big into spirituality, big into philosophy. It's like, where did that mind body division start and as far as studying philosophy from a european perspective because the eastern side doesn't have that as much i think it uh was descartes you know it's like i think therefore i am who put the mind and kind of through philosophy sort of separated the mind and the body and i think that's where the seeds were planted in medicine as well i'm not sure this this is just me thinking no it's absolutely descartes one that started the process and what's happening is the business of medicine though we've gone all to symptoms we don't even acknowledge the role of the mind. So we split the mind off as a separate psychology, psychiatry world. And so, by the way, you, you may or may not know this data, but anxiety, depression, bipolar, OCD, and schizophrenia are all inflammatory disorders. The brain is on fire. And so anxiety is the same as back pain. And people understand that, again, we can somehow treat physical symptoms to some degree, but when the mind's on fire, and so we again, we treat this physiological state with psychological rational constructs, and the unconscious brain, the inflammatory process, et cetera, is a million times stronger than your conscious brain. So you can't control it. You learn to regulate it, as you found out, and we're going to talk about some of the things that you do that are actually anti-inflammatory, but the bottom line is where you solve <clears throat> all these, quote, psychological diagnosis is you calm down the physiology. And things and magic starts to happen. So, by the way, exercise is incredibly anti-inflammatory. Just as one modality, mm, that was a big one for me, for sure. But what you you also said the magic words because in my world, I'm a physician, and when I use the word forgiveness, play, spirituality, etc. What they're doing, they all calm down the body's physiology, not some type of distraction. People just it flat out calms down the physiology, and so those are the words. And that, by the way, the data is quite deep in medicine. And so you're actually doing what the data says. It's mainstream medicine that's sort of treating these symptoms way over here, whereas you're going head on right into the whole physiology of disease. So what? So I'm curious, what were some of the paradigm shifts that you got out of counseling that seemed to help? Um, I mean, people want quick fixes, but you can't just reprogram the brain in a day. So, it wasn't a quick fix for me. Right. Like I did many years of therapy. I did seven years of therapy. It took a long time, a lot of work. And maybe that's not what people want to hear, but that's the truth. Uh, to heal from that depression uh, maybe took me about a year or two. Okay. The big one is hope. Like just that's the difference between hope and despair. Like when you're in despair, like helplessness is a learned condition. Right. It's learned from like trying to do everything and nothing's working. And so then you you say like, well, why do anything? If you think anything you do is not going to work, that's despair. And so you stop doing anything and then you don't get better. Hope is the belief that things can get better. Not necessarily that they will, but just that they can. And if you hold that belief, then you start doing things that lead you to get better. So when I was suffering that much, like people like, oh, how did you hold it together? I didn't. I was in despair. You know, I was in a very low period of my life and I just didn't see any reason to live. Like the quality of life was not there and then i realized like i can't go on this way 
like I have to think of a reason to live. You know, I didn't want to live as like my mantra, which I repeated over and over again in my mind was I want to want to live. It's like, I couldn't say I want to live directly because that wasn't true, but I did want the desire for life back. So my mantra was I want to want to live. And then I had to find small reasons to live. And for me, it was like, I want to take my niece to the science museum, you know, uh, which sounds like not very ambitious, but when you can't walk or talk or have control of your body, that seems impossible. But so at least that gave me a reason to heal. It's like, I want to take, it's not a big one, but I want to take my niece to the science museum. Right. And so, you know, that, was sort of the motivation that I did to to do small steps. For me, it was like to move my body was overwhelming. I didn't have that mind-body connection at all. Right. And so for me, I broke it down to the smallest piece that I could, which was like, okay, move a single finger. Like move a single finger. Because everything was overwhelming. Just move. Like when you're full on catatonia, people treat you like a non-human. They think there's nobody home, but it's the opposite. Right. My mind is even more active than it's shutting everything down. So let me but, ask you, uh, let me ask you a leading question, which you don't have to actually answer. Sure. So when I, I was in major depression for 13 years and in 2002, um, I started to commit suicide. I have 20 medical colleagues that are suicide. There's a direct link between ruminations or obsessive thought patterns and suicide. And that's a function of human language. And so other species of creatures don't commit suicide. So I, I don't, you don't have to share that if you don't want, but my journey, I brought life down into 10 minute increments. So I, and so, so that's exactly some scenario, just hanging on 10 minutes, 10 minutes more. So I got to do. And so it took a long, I was in that space state for at least a year and a half. And in 2002, I almost checked out and it's a tough spot to be. But I didn't know back then about the inflammatory nature of it. And I didn't know what to do. No idea. And so it took me a long time to figure out what happened, how I came out of it. But I've been able to help people out of it much faster. And that's what I'm excited about you on your journey to help other people out of it. So, um, yeah, that's the real deal. So were unpleasant thought patterns a problem for you in that phase? Very, like very much. My mind was in complete turmoil. And like you said, you, you don't know what to do you don't know how to do anything it's just like that's distressing right any of these any one of these symptoms is distressing and it's it's this spiral that goes downwards you know right. it's like uh, i think we have a suffering averse culture and then when you're when you're suffering you start suffering because you're suffering right Absolutely. you know you're suffering because you're suffering and then once you're suffering because you're suffering that compounds the suffering and it just spirals so much quicker um it's like first of all you have to remove that one layer of it's okay to suffer it's not pleasant but it's right. part of the human condition right and when you accept that like it's, it's it, the only what i say is like the only way not to suffer is to suffer <laughs> you well, know it's, it's I mean, unavoidable you know it's i'm, I'm yeah. so happy you're figuring this out because right exactly because there's a little thing in neuroscience which you resist will persist so if you fight suffering, your attention's on it. And from a neuroplasticity standpoint, you've actually reinforced it. So that's a major, major factor in healing both physical and mental pain is that I have a meditation I do with my people I work with is, you know, I want you to feel your pain and just be with it for a bit. And as you train yourself to not react to it, things happen. But I, I want to um, finish up one thing before we go to the next part of our podcast sure. um, is that there's a research paper out of Texas, and I can send it to you, where this 
Dr. Danzer has been very active in the uh, cytokine world, which are the modulate inflammation or anti-inflammation. So it turns out that hope and optimism are actually highly anti-inflammatory. So there's four things identified that actually create the directly lower inflammatory markers in the lab. One is hope and optimism. The other one is sense of community with other people. The other one is a positive affect, not positive thinking, but a positive vision. Then the final one, which we're going to talk about in the second one more carefully, is a sense of control. And the biggest factor I see in all my patients, including myself, is that when you take control of your own life and care, it's the opposite of being angry at which you blame everybody else for your problems instead of taking responsibility yourself. That's always the tipping point of true healing in my world is when people decide to take control, take responsibility, and deal with anger every time. You can get better without that, but there's a tipping point where that's always a tipping point. So everything you said is exactly dead on with the whole healing concepts. So I'm impressed. And the, the, what I didn't know, didn't know at my, your stage of the game, I'm still finding out is that the neuroscience behind what you just put out there is really, really deep. So again, my vision is connecting medicine to the science we just talked about. And your journey is incredibly inspiring. So oh, thank you. Yeah, no, it's really, it's really cool. But you you figured out you figured out the healing journey. So anyway, um, thank you for this part of the podcast. We'll do a second podcast, a second about what the message that you want to bring out to the world and are doing actively, which I'm excited about that. So any um thoughts about how to you have a new book coming out, which is called Light from Darkness. Light from Darkness. Okay. And then you are a speaker. And then you have social media links also, correct? Right. So we'll put those That's up on the, a... on the show notes. And so if you want to ask um, ask any questions um, and uh, get a hold of them, why, um, feel free to do that. But his book's coming out. I can tell already it's going to be a great book. But your insight oh, is you. so <laughs> core to the healing journey. It's, it's fantastic. So anyway, Matt, thank you very, very much for this time. And uh, thank you. Thank you. It was great. Thank you so much. I'd like to thank our guest, Matt Bonet, for being on the show today and for sharing his intense struggle with chronic pain and the insights that helped him heal. I'm your host, Tom Masters, reminding you to be back next week for another episode of Back in Control Radio with Dr. David Hanscom. And in the meantime, be sure to visit the website at www.backincontrol.com. Thanks for listening today, and join us next week for Back in Control Radio.